questions, and um, also kind of how every pastor is wired. Some pastors are just great at on-the-spot questions, and I'm usually not. And so, so much so people like email me or call me or text me and say, "I need to talk to you about something." I'm like, "Tell me what it is. Like, like just, just give me some, give me some heads up, because I'd be much better like having some time to think about it." But um, got a few that I'll um, that I'll run through. And going through um, as teaching pastor, what's my personal testimony? Um, I grew up in um, Virginia Beach, Virginia, right towards um, the coast as an unconverted Episcopalian. And so went to Galilee Episcopal right down there on the, um, the ocean front. And um, church was always, you know, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, red book, blue book, stand up, sit down. And um, that was all it was to me. Um, they had the preacher crusher that was above the pastor. And if you've been in the old churches that have kind of the bell, you know, over the top. Have you ever designed one of those out of wood? Those kind of big things. They, 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 they're all wood now. They used to be for projection. They would literally hang a bell above the preacher's head so that the sound would. And now for like looks, they hang it. But this one was by a rope in the Episcopal Church. And um, I could swear there were notches in the rope. And so as a kid, I just wait for it just to fall on the guy. And I can remember very like sitting through church services, just staring at those notches, and um, and waiting for the thing to fall. And so, um, so of course, did not either either the gospel was not preached in that church, or I didn't have ears to hear it. Uh, but either way, uh, unconverted kid. My mom told me when I was 16 that I could stay at home um, with my dad, and thought that that was a great deal and um, redeeming Sunday. Um, and so I did, stayed at home, and when I was in, I guess, sophomore of high school, so I guess I was more like 14, 15, I started staying at home. Sophomore in high school, started going to, went kind of first week of high school at Kellum High School in Virginia Beach, and um, I don't know if this was the way it was in your high school, but you always had to figure out where you are going to sit in the lunchroom, because at least in my high school, you couldn't change. I mean, you could, but nobody did. You kind of had to pick, like, what your group is going to be, and who you're sitting with, and it, it needed it. So... Um, so I went in and, um, on that day, um, saw a kind of acquaintance friend of mine, Matt Morgan, um, and had known him since middle school. And, um, actually I went to junior high back when Virginia did junior highs. And, um, he invited me to sit at his table and invited me to a young life meeting, um, and ended up in a young life meeting, meeting Christ and confessing my sins. And the way that I describe it is I, my experience in the Episcopal church was like a building um, was built, but nobody was in it. None of the lights were on. Like I, I knew a lot about Christianity and the Bible. Um, in fact, I'd already been commune, uh, had done communicants membership in the church at whatever seventh grade, sixth grade, and um, the way that they did it, you had to, you went through a course, and then on a Sunday morning, you had to stand up in the service with eight hundred people and the big Episcopalian thing, and the priest from the front would ask you questions, Bible or theology questions. And you couldn't sit down until you answered one right. And so, you know, as a seventh grader, having to stand up in a church service, and it was just terrifying. Um, but I got my question right, and you know, apparently trial by fire. I thought I was converted. Um, well, no, I didn't. So I went to a Young Life meeting, saw people who loved Jesus and cared about sin and wanted to serve their classmates and see them come to Christ. And I just, it's like, these people have a real relationship with Jesus, and I, I want that. And I remember praying and um, the Lord just changed me and caused me born again, loved his word, loved hanging out with those folks and really thrived in young life. Um, in high school, didn't get plugged into a church because I was converted through young life. And so we just hop around to different churches. <coughs> one of my friends were going. And so 
then went to um, University of Virginia uh, for college, um, was bred to go there. My grandfather went there, my great-grandfather went there, didn't visit anywhere else, applied early admission, got in, like, no quite, like, that was just where I was going. Um, but Young Life was done, my Young Life leader actually moved away my senior year of high school um, and went to my first year of college, and I had never had Maybe somebody told me on the way, but I was a stupid high schooler, like, you need to be a part of a church. And so, really faltered my first year at, at UVA and my faith. I remember coming home into my first year and thinking, I am the farthest I've ever been away from the Lord, and I don't know how I got here, but I want to be closer to Him. And so, um, hooked up with those same guys, Matt Morgan and a few other guys, and we did a summer Bible study. And reconnected with the Lord and realized when I went back to UVA my second year, I need to find Christian friends, I need to find a church because those apparently are very important. And so went back and um, got involved in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and um, started attending Trinity PCA um, there in Charlottesville. And so um, got really involved in FCA, um, was the president of FCA my third year. It was a completely student-run organization because they didn't have enough national staff. So we would just like once a year send a report to national FCA and other than that do whatever we wanted. So we'd schedule speakers during the week and events and, and the whole deal. And I was working in a cell biology lab because um, I wanted to be a genetic engineer and um, was a biochemistry major. And I was thinking, well, Lord, do you want me to be in ministry because I'm running a ministry? Or do you want me to be, you know, I wanted to work on the genome project. And I didn't know which. And so um, went to a pastor at Trinity and said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And so he discipled me for a year and said, you know what, if you go to seminary, you're there for a year and decide it's not for you, then you leave a better equipped layman. That sounds good. And so um, went to the first year up there. Um, Hallie and I started dating our third year. We were engaged our fourth year. The summer of 2000, um, we graduated in May, married in June, um, started summer Greek in July, um, bought a house in August. We just knocked out like all of the major life transitions we could. And, um, and so I went to RTS in Charlotte, Reformed Theological Seminary um, in Charlotte. It's one of the campuses that um, RTS spawned off, started in Jackson, Mississippi. And you heard maybe Scott Redd two weeks ago, who's now the president of the RTS campus in D.C. Um, further. So three years at RTS in Charlotte, and then um, was hired out of RTS Charlotte to go down and be uh, minister to students and families at First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, under Ligon Duncan, um, who's now the president of um, all of all of RTS, and so at a seminary went down there. It was a uh, 500 students total that I was responsible for. Ten staff, um, part time and full time, um, middle school, high school, and college students um, there in Jackson. Did that for three years. Then went to a little town called Kosciuszko, um, Mississippi. Named after Thaddeus Kosciuszko, who Thomas Jefferson said was one of the greatest sons of liberty. Polish guy that, um, that just loved fights and heard the Americans were having a revolution and came over to be a part of it. And That's awesome. I guess somebody in Mississippi heard about him and and um, took the Z's out of his name and renamed the county Kosciuszko. And so 7,000 person town in Mississippi and um, was there for three years. And then there was a group of people in Culpeper who um, were PCA folks but we're commuting to one of the three PCA churches nearby. And so um, you, you probably know that usually when somebody lives in Culpeper, um, they have Culpeper as their home, but they center on another bigger city or town. And so 
Some people in Culpeper drive up to Warrenton, Manassas if they need doctors or shopping. Some people drive to Fredericksburg if they need doctors or shopping. Some people drive to Charlottesville if they need doctors or shopping. Um, and all three of those cities have PCA churches. And so um, those folks asked the local presbytery, hey, would you start a PCA church in Culpeper? And they started working on creating a PCA church in Culpeper. Um, my parents-in-law live in Lynchburg, Virginia. My wife's from Lynchburg. And so I called the pastor in Lynchburg and said, hey, what's going on church planting in Virginia in the Presbytery? And he said, well, there's a place called Pepper. Um, and so that's kind of how got connected. Um, since went to UVA, I was kind of familiar with the area. And um, Jackson, Mississippi was a, um, a capital city town, even though it's Mississippi. And so it kind of understood D.C. influence. Um, Kosciuszko was an ag town. You know, I, I know how to diagnose hoof rot and, you know, from... From November to, to March, if you ate red meat, it was deer, and you know, that's um, I'm familiar with that culture too, which is some of Culpeper. So it looked like some of our background um, matched with, um, with with some of the demographics of Culpeper and the way that Culpeper was growing. So we um, we got here in '09, and um, got here August 1st, '09, my birthday, 2009, and um, we had our first we launched our first worship service on Easter of 2010. And um, have been plugging along ever since. So that's conversion to to now, and um, and the churches I've been in, and and kind of how I've been here. Um, we're also a part of Acts 29. Of course, I got involved in the PCA with going to um, Trinity um, when I was in Mississippi. Um, heard of a guy named um, Mark Driscoll, and you know whatever you think about Mark Driscoll now. Um, back then, he was doing just really good work in Seattle, and um, and I really, really wanted to hate him and what he was doing, because um, it just it, it sounded like he was doing all kinds of kinds of crazy methods and was brash. And um, what he helped me with was he helped me to figure out what parts of my Southern Presbyterian tradition were Southern and Presbyterian, and what parts were biblical. Um, and it's it's hard when you grow up in something to be able to sort those things out. Um, and, and I've, I found typically in the South um, that a lot of people equate Southern culture with Christian culture, and when they actually are different, they'll say Southern culture is Christian and Christian is wrong um, a lot of the time. And so um, dialoguing, not that he and I were talking, but engaging with what Mark was doing in Seattle helped me figure out, you know, I, I wouldn't do what he's doing but there's some things he's doing that are biblical church planning. And I want to be a part of biblical church planning, and I want to reach people who don't know Jesus. And so um, the PCA has been, we've caught up some, uh, we've been kind of behind in terms of um, denominational level being strategic about church planting. Um, we're a, which we'll get to the question in a minute, but because we started off as a split um, denomination, split off from the PCUSA in 1973, um, a lot of the ways the PCA grew were by churches that were in denominations that were going liberal would come in. So we would receive um, churches. We wouldn't necessarily start churches. And so a lot of our early growth was just current churches joining the denomination, not that we were starting them. Um, and so uh, as coming to Virginia, I really wanted to partner with Acts 29 as a parachurch ministry that was doing reformed ecumenical church planting. Um, and that just ended up working out really well. And I think I mentioned last week, um, Acts 29 does a great job with the two things that Presbyterians are really concerned about, which is 
um, money and theology. And so if you answer those questions, Presbyterians are fine. And so there's no common pot as far as Acts 29 goes, and um, they have a very complementarian, reformed um, theology. So um, that's a little bit of how we are now both Acts 29 and, um, and PCA. So um, I think that was maybe questions one through four, if I was able to, to knock all of that out into um, to one. Um, and I'm trying to think. Um, so we're a part, the Blue Ridge Presbytery um, goes south, I don't know if I said this last week, to south to the Virginia border and west to the West Virginia border. Um, uh, Warrington is not in our presbytery. Um, Fredericksburg is not in our presbytery. And so um, those, are, those are not areas we're currently looking at to do church planting in. So just up front for folks who are, who are that way, um, presbyteries are very territorial and, um, in that way. And so, um, so that's kind of where we are. What we think probably will happen, um, we hope for a reorganization of presbyteries at, at some point. And we would think that the, um, it's so funny, um, we call our presbytery the upper and the lower um, because in this area you can't call something north and south because obviously like you just can't do that and so um it's not the northern and southern part of presbytery it's the upper and the lower part of presbytery and um, the, the divide is 460 and so if you're familiar with um, roads in virginia 460 that runs across virginia suffolk all the way um through i guess that's lynchburg all the way across below that's the lower above that's the upper the thought is the upper and the lower portion of the potomac presbytery and warrenton may combine um, at, at some point because our area is, is more like them. That's a little bit of what's going on. Presbytery, we're a part of the, um, I did remember talking about this last week, the um, Acts 29 region that right now is localized in D.C. So if you hear about Acts 29 guys, a lot of D.C. guys, Matt and Reston and Bill Rydell on Capitol Hill and um, all those different folks. So um, those are kind of our groups that, that we're a part of. So. That's kind of my story and the story of the church. And before I get into the PCA, PCUSA question, other questions about me, the church, the church story, those kinds of things. Okay. If you're looking for a, um, a good history of the PCA, if you're into that kind of thing, um, one was just kind of put out end of last year. Um, it's called a continuing church, and so if you're interested in tracking down that, it's Sean Michael Lucas, and you can um, look at that book. We're 40 years old now, so I think we can probably write write our history now. I think um, Acts 29 is 12 years old to give some um, context to different organizations and, and how they grow. Um, what's the difference between the PCA and the PCUSA? Um, we broke off in 1973. Um, the ugly side of the story, which is um, highlighted in Sean Michael Lucas's book, is that some of the reason we broke off um, was because of civil rights, segregation. Um, part of our denomination has a history rooted in racism, which is ugly, and I'm glad we can finally repent of and say it happened. And 1973 was a tumultuous time in, um, in our country. And unfortunately, there were PCA churches that barred black men and women from coming into their church and joining their church specifically because um, they were black. And so that was a part of the story. That wasn't all of the story. Um, the PCUSA was also starting to go liberal in several areas, um, theologically and, um, and progressively. And so um, they were no longer being clear about the necessity of the gospel, especially for missionaries to preach the necessity of the gospel um, as they're in other places. 
um, they were no longer holding a hard line on the inerrancy of scripture. Um, and also as it related to um, male eldership in, in the local church. And of course, um, they're starting to develop what's known as a trajectory hermeneutic. I don't know if you've heard of a trajectory hermeneutic, um, but it basically says this. If Apostle Paul knew better, he'd realize we would figure it out by now, and he kind of meant for us to straighten it all out. So whatever ways we have problems with the Bible, we just need to alter them now because that's what they intended. So, um, you know, the trajectory was heading in that direction, and so we're just going to change this thing. So that was the that was the hermeneutic, the way of looking at the Bible, the way it was going. Um, and there were several groups that tried to reform the PCUSA and say, hey, let's not go in that direction. Let's hold the line on biblical inerrancy, um, the necessity of believing in Christ for salvation, um, male eldership, complementarianism within uh, marriage, and years of, of fights and fusses. And finally, 1973, um, created the PCA. And so now, of course, the PCUSA has gone further. Um, I, I think they're one of the organizations that now ordain homosexual clergy, um, female elders, um, those those kinds of things. And so, um, so that's we're... We're conservative. We love the Bible. We love Jesus. Um, we believe the Westminster Confession. Uh, but we really also want to see people come to Christ and love lost folks. And so we're we're about as vanilla as you get, um, and pretty broad vanilla as you get. We would probably be the the biggest theologically vanilla missional Presbyterian church you can find. There are other Presbyterian like ARP Associate Reformed Presbyterian, the OPC, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Those are evangelical and reformed, but typically smaller um, than we are. And so answer more questions about that. But that's what sets us apart from um, PCUSA and um, and really other mainline <clears throat> other mainline churches um, in town. Um, so we, we love folks and we wanna we wanna love folks as best we can, but we don't think that we need to change what the Bible says about sin, social issues, things in order to love people. In fact we think that's a very unloving way to um, engage with people. So, other questions? Not that this is. I keep saying that like this is your only chance. You can. You don't have to join after this. There's no like we're not going to bar the door and fill out your forms or anything like that. And you can always ask afterwards. So, next steps in the membership process. Uh, make sure you've reviewed and asked any questions you may have about um, the content we covered. Uh, the New City Catechism, I'll, I'll send you all a link to that, um, a PDF on that, as long as a, as well as a link to these class notes, a link to the BCO, a link to the Constitution and Bylaws, and um, you can look at those things. The New City Catechism is a great summary of Reformed doctrine. It's a combination of the Shorter Catechism and the Heidelberg Catechism, and so I think most of you have engaged with excuse me, Reformed Theology in the past, and um, so I don't think this is new to you, but if you're new to Reformed Theology, that's great. The five PCA membership questions, and then the mission and vision of Christ's covenant. Um, next step would be to fill out a membership application, which is available under the resource tab at ChristCub.com. Um, it's just an online form that, um, that asks you some about um, you and your background. Um, after that, you would meet with me and John and Ted for a membership interview. Um, when you fill out your form, we get all of that, and then we sit down and we go over any of your unanswered questions, your membership application, and your story of coming to faith in, in Jesus, your testimony. Um, during the membership interview, we'll discuss next steps, which may include further conversations or joining immediately. Um, and then if 
you're to the point where we think that it's a good fit and y'all think it's a good fit. We receive you into church membership um, by answering, and I previewed some of those, but mainly the five membership questions of the PCA. Then after that, you're recognized as new members on a Sunday morning. So in a PCA church, the elders are the ones that receive you on that. In that meeting, you're officially members when the elders vote on you. And then we recognize you in the service so your brothers and sisters in Christ know um, that, that you've joined. Um, it is slightly laborious on purpose, and um, I want folks to, um, to commit. And so they have to go to a website and take the 10 minutes to fill out the form and sit down in front of elders. And, um, and we kind of want folks to say, yes, I'm, I'm ready to do this. And so there's no obligation to, to join. Um, but it's, uh, I hope I've, I've tried in the course to say it's, it's, you cannot get and should not expect to get out of the church the same things you would get if you're just a frequent visitor and just try to get really involved. Um, there's certain things you just can't approximate um, and that way. So I hope you will either join in the coming months or decide that there's a, you want to try out some other churches, which I know a lot of pastors and can introduce you around too. So no hard feelings if not. Um, but that's kind of our our process as it goes. Um, that's all I have in my membership class. Do you all have questions or comments or stuff I left out? Uh, the membership application. Yes. Is that more or less like a, well, it's an application. Mm -hmm. But is it also like a membership agreement uh, pretty much that you're filling out? You don't sign anything in the application, so you're not obligated to anything. It is... Um, your testimony, it is a short description of the gospel, it's have you been a member of a church in the past. Um, I will typically call a pastor and just check in on your previous church. You've been a part of a church in the past, especially Matt Morgan. But um, and that's just a part of being being connectional, and so that gives me be that. You can join, there are three ways you can come and join a PCA church. One is by affirmation of faith, which means you believe the gospel for the first time and this is your first church. Um, the second is by transfer of letter. In the olden days, when you join, there would be a letter. And um, when you'd go join the next church, that previous church would actually send your letter. And so your letter would like go church to church, physical piece of paper, and so it's so-called transfer of letter. Um, and the third way is reaffirmation of faith, um, which means some churches don't transfer a letter. And so um, if if your church doesn't do, if your previous church does not communicate that, then it'll be reaffirmation of faith, um, which isn't that you have like fallen away and now we're reaffirming that you're a Christian. It just means your church won't send anything. But all that to say, that document, that the application says this was the previous church. Um, it, there's a place for you to list um, any pastoral issues that you would want to list. And so, um, you know, this doesn't apply to any of you, but if it's something like, you know, a mom's joining and it's a divorce situation and my husband shouldn't be allowed to pick up my child from the nursery because he doesn't have custody. Um, or, you know, working through hard time and was diagnosed with mental illness and elders should know that. You know, those, those kinds of things, there's a spot for that. You don't have to fill it out, but those are the kinds of things. But it isn't a, it isn't an, an oblig, like it doesn't obligate you to anything. It's, it's just the kind of stuff that we've found we would want to talk to you about in a membership interview um, in the front end. So. Is there like a membership? Um, Covenant. Yeah. I see what you're asking. Yes. 
The membership covenant is the five membership questions and do you agree to the constitution and bylaws? Okay. So I can get you it, but that's that's all that's okay. all the sheet of paper is. So um, we I know some we we've talked about different things in the past, and I really would want to do a more robust membership covenant, um, but we still have this like principle in the PCA of the easy membership questions. So probably what will happen in the near future is I'll update it and I will write out some um, elaboration of what each question means. And so, you know, for example, you know, question three, um, do you promise to live a life that becomes a follower of Christ? And I'll say things like, you know, this involves, you know, sexual purity and this involves, you know, these kinds of things, um, even though, you know, it, those won't be binding parts of the covenant, just being more specific about what they are. But that's what that is. Um, We've talked about doing times of covenant renewal once a year. If you've been in churches that have done that in the past, where once a year everybody have a chance to kind of re-up. Um, it's, a, it's a chance for everybody to, to say, I, I do agree with this church, or uh, I don't agree, and you know, sign again that I'm covenanted to this church body. We haven't done that yet. but um, So, yeah. And I have that form if you want it, but all it is is the five membership questions and yeah. have you read and agree to the Constitution and Bylaws. Okay. Hope I haven't scared y'all off. And you're also welcome to talk to um, to Ted and John too. Um, a lot of this stuff was written back before I didn't have a Ted or John, and I had borrowed elders from Charlottesville. So um, feel free to talk to them and say, I heard Joe, like you tell me your story in um, the church of how it is, because they're I I'm I am a firm advocate that they're considered ruling elders and um, or we might know lay elders, um, but there's no reason you could, shouldn't consider them pastors. They're really bivocational pastors. Um, is is what they are, even though I'm I'm full time. So there is much your pastor as um as I am, and I have one vote on the session, you know, along with them. And so we really do try to lead with a with a plurality. I love having them along. They're both engineers, which is great. Um, Ted is literally a rocket scientist, so he's got his PhD in rocket science. Um, he designs engines for ramjet and scramjet engines on ballistic missiles. And um, John does um, a lot of VDOT stuff and engineering roads and bridges and all that kind of stuff, which is completely different. They think completely different than I do. And um, it's great to have, have them as a team. Um, we split our congregation up amongst us. And so that's how we pray for the congregation. And when you join the church, you'll get assigned an elder as kind of your elder contact. Um, and that's just, you know, who they are, and they, you know that they are praying for you specifically, um, is, is how we do that. And if there ever a family goes through crisis, that whoever has that family is kind of their point of contact, just to make sure nobody falls through the cracks um, in the church. So um, we probably will do elder and deacon um, nominations and possibly elections in the beginning of next year. Um, and the way that the PCA does that is probably good for you all to know in the way that it works. So. The Presbyterians believe that the power um, of the church resides in the people of God, um, the congregation, um, but that God intended it to be a representative democracy. And so really the United States of America is patterned off of Presbyterianism um, and the way that the government works. And so um, a pure Baptist church is a pure democracy where the congregation votes on everything. Um, the Episcopal Church is an oligarchy. Um, there are a few people who 
vote and rule and vote on rule on who should vote and rule. Um, the Roman Catholic Church, of course, is um, a monarchy um, with one guy in charge as kind of supreme potentate. Um, the way that Presbyterianism works is that people nominate elders according to the Bible, and then those elders and deacons, according to the Bible, make decisions on behalf of the church, um, and that's kind of how it runs. And so um, it, it first came about back when Bloody Mary was trying to take over Scotland, and her idea was we're going to tell them who their pastors are. Um, and if you know anything about Scottish history, you don't tell the Scots anything about anything. And so they said no. And that's where we get um, some of my ancestors who were Scottish covenanters. Um, they covenanted and they said no. The, the Bible says who is qualified to lead in a church. And first of all, Jesus is the king of church. And only the men who are qualified according to scripture, First Timothy 3, Titus 1, are the men that should rule in the church. And we're not going to have people who don't fit those requirements. And so lots of war and bloodshed and John Knox and Presbyterianism. And so, um, so where we are now is we have nominations where the congregation looks out and looks after you know, being instructed according to the word of God, who are men who meet the requirements biblically of being an elder. And then um, the elders look in on their lives and train them, disciple them, and figure out are these men qualified and then the elders send them back to the congregation to be voted on and said, we've looked in on these guys, their theology is legit, we think that they are, um, but now you have to um, vote on them. And so there's this kind of checks and balances system where there's a nomination and training and then sending back and then voting on, um, and the congregation in the end votes on um, elders um, to rule and reign and pastor in the church, so, um, and deacons as well. And so, and then, the pastors, the elders, and the deacons um, make the decisions for the church. So that's how it works. Um, and so that's really the only thing that a church votes on in Presbyterianism is um, who their leaders will be. Then leaders make those decisions. Um, actually, in corporation law, you also vote on property, the exchange of property by Virginia law. But um, those are the only two things that Presbyterians vote on, and it tends to reduce some, um, some of the yucky things that happen in congregational meetings and smaller churches and factions and all of those things. So that's how it works. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so communion. Yes. Yes. Uh, can someone that's not baptized take communion from the PCA? They shouldn't, but right now they can. Um, the way that, and we're, we're, this is kind of the church plant thing, and so what I'm supposed to say on Sunday mornings is um, if you're a member of an evangelical church, you're welcome to come and take here because we've been a church plant. Folks come in and they might not be a member of a church or whatever else, and so it's led to some confusion. We have some people in our church who've not been members of churches but are baptized Christians who partake of the Lord's Supper. And so we're moving to the place where I'll be more specific because the sacrament is meant to be had within the church and by you know church members. And so it gets a little fuzzy in our church when I talk about kids, because I say, you know, if, you're, if you're growing up and you know you can join the church and take communion, then we have adults like, wait, I'm taking communion in the church and I'm not a member of the church. And I'm always like, well, that's just not a great situation. So um, the, the goal is that baptism would bring entry into a local church family 
and then you would participate in um, communion as a part of a church. Um, I'm not, I don't like pull the plate away from, from anybody or anything, anything like that. So, um, but we have non-communing and communing members. And so we'll have, you know, a, a child, um, a baptized child is a non-communing member of the church. They're special in God's sight, um, but they have not taken the step of faith where they profess their faith publicly. And so they don't come and eat of the Lord's table. So they would be baptized folks who don't eat, partake of communion in um, PCA church. So we're, we're trying to lead in that way without being, um, without, you know, barring people unnecessarily from the sacrament. So that's the, that's the direction that, um, that we're going. That was clear enough in its fuzziness. So and churches have done all kinds of things. So and in the past, some churches do closed communion where you have to be a member of that church. And those are the folks who can take communion, which I, I kind of get some of the family feel of that. Um, we have a lot of visiting folks, so I'd like it to be broader than that. But also think that communion should be a part of a, a church family and not just kind of like, you know, Burger King, kind of swing through whatever church you're attending and um, take your takeout communion. So, okay. Um, good. I'm trying to think any other goofy things in Presbyterianism that might surprise you. I don't think so. We have strange words for everything, so if you just ask if there's anything um, confusing along the way. Um, really haven't had to do it yet. We do do church discipline from time to time. Um, and that's outlined in the book and, and here. And I think it's a good thing for folks that they know if I fall into sin, somebody's going to come after me. The only thing that you can be excommunicated from, really in any church, but the PCA church, is unbelief. Um, there's no sin that, that kicks you out. And um, all along the way, it's intended to only gear up towards that and the way that church discipline goes. Say, hey, repent, love you. If somebody repents, great. We, um, we move on. So... If you have other questions, you can email me, call me, take me out to coffee, whatever else. So I think it's a it's a great church. Hallie and I have always wanted to plant the church that we would want to worship in. So um, we also have our problems, our foibles, and those things. So hopefully, I've been clear enough with all of those things over the course of the membership class. Um, yeah, and if you have any particular hangups, like talk to me about it. If anything doesn't jive with a particular church, um, let me know from your previous experience. Good. Why not close this in prayer? Father, we love you. Um, we thank you for this time we've had to come together. And um, Lord, I just love telling the story of this church. This is a work that you've done. And um, Lord, we know as we look at scripture that not there aren't any churches listed there that are still open. And so we think that Christ's covenant has a, a lifespan. And at least for now, Lord, you've allowed us to exist and see people come to Christ and see new members come. And we pray, Lord, that we would grow and thrive and reach Culpeper and beyond and plant a ton of churches um, in the days that you've allotted for us. I pray for the families represented here that you would um, bless them, Lord, that the gospel would be cherished, um, the spouses would love one another, that kids would grow up to love and serve you all their days, and that you'd help these folks as they consider whether Christ's covenant is a church home for them. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm. <coughs>